That lieth betwixt, it is I, Henry Kathman, in the spooky summer pink aisle with Emma Corey. Actually, it's uh, Emma Gory. Oh, I must say, your spooky-based puns are irresistible. Hey. One might say almost bewitching. Uh. Just... Thanks you so much for being my co-host. Don't you mean your co-ghost? Ah, That's uh, <laughs> mm, mm. you can play at that game. Delightfully devilish. So if you had a spooky Halloween name, yours would be uh, Henry Batman. Honestly, cats have a close enough association with Halloween where I feel like Catman. Henry Cats 2019, man. <laughs> oh, God. The curse that shall never, ever leave Never me. die. Yes. <laughs> well, Emma, today is quite a boo-tiful occasion. Because if the heavy-handed ghost puns were not apparent enough, we're doing another Monster High movie! I wanted to specifically focus on Monster High today because as of the day that we are recording this on June 16th, 2022, let me tell you, listener, we have heard plenty of buzz because Nickelodeon has released the cast for their upcoming live-action Monster High movie. And I don't know, Emma... What do you make of the trailer that we have seen for the upcoming Monster High movie? I do think it is very ironic after, uh, did you watch Izzy's uh, video on Monster High, the retrospective she did? I have not. I need to watch more of Izzy's stuff. Yeah, I really I really like her stuff, but her, I found her Monster High really kind of went into at least a lot more of the history with the toy and how, like... Basically, the reason um, the Monster High doll line kind of failed was because Mattel, um, they were the main licensing company for like making dolls for Disney. Yes. But when they came out with that Ever After High toy line as a direct competitor to the Disney Descendants, that's what ended the relationship between Mattel and Disney. Oof. And so that's why like they lost a lot of money after that because of the ever after high thing and now here they are again uh making a movie that looks very very visually and like tonally similar to those descendants movies yeah well like, i don't know the girls with like the colored hair like the the fact that it's a musical the fashion as well yeah that's the thing for like a movie being released in the future time the fashion from the trailer still seems very stuck in the 2010s which you gotta imagine is probably part of the brand identity at this point because if you made these characters dressed up in like more modern clothing i don't know how recognizable they're gonna actually be because we've enjoyed plenty of the other monster high films that we've watched so far but i think it does bear mentioning that like were it not for some of the fashion choices 
of these characters. It's kind of hard to identify them sometimes. Yeah, like the trailer that we have is still pretty sparse, so we'll have to see. Well, I do have a little bit of info about this upcoming movie that I want to share with you because there's some interesting things surrounding it. So... As the trailer might indicate, this is a movie that is actually centering on Claudine, our residential lesbian werewolf lady. In this, she's being pitched as a half-human, half-werewolf, and she has to find a place where she fits in, but there's like this devious plan to destroy Monster High and reveal her werewolf identity, I guess. So she's got to like embrace her like monster side. This is like what the basic pitch, and I don't know about you, but that feels like a pretty big departure from the stuff we've seen about these characters so far. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of wondering if it's going to be a whole like metaphor. I mean, you know, werewolves do have a certain level of coding that kind of lend themselves to those kinds of stories of coming to terms with your identity, which... Credit to the Monster High franchise, the premise by itself does lend itself to actually having that kind of a story compared to some of the other contemporary teen movie fare that we sometimes get. Like, listener, as much as some people might request it, I don't ever want to touch one of those zombie movies that Disney Channel has been churning out. Because they're, they are perfect and there are no notes to make on them. Sure. <laughs> Well, Emma, before we get into our current movie, I want to tell you a little bit more about some of the casting crew of the upcoming Monster High movie. I want to start off with the director of this movie, someone who you might recognize, a Mr. Todd Holland. No relation to Tom Holland. No, no relation. But even if you haven't heard of this director, you've probably heard of some of the TV shows and films that he has worked on in the past. Like, Emma, do you remember a little movie called... The Wizard? Is that the, that 80s movie that was a big, like, Nintendo commercial? Yes, it was a big movie that advertised the Power Glove and Super Mario Brothers 3. Yeah, that's the one where, like, the kid is like, I love the Power Glove, it's so bad. He's going to be bringing us this movie. Yeah, I was like, I didn't know anyone working from that time period was still alive. Fred Savage is still alive. He's fine. Is he, though? I imagine so. Those Wonder Years residuals were probably doing him a pretty good sum, you know? He also worked on a number of pretty prolific TV shows. He worked on two episodes of Twin Peaks during season two as, like, the main director. Directed a number of episodes of Malcolm in the Middle. Directed episodes of 30 Rock, as well as episodes of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And... Is just working pretty consistently, mostly on sitcoms from what it looks like. Well, good for him. But joining Mr. Holland on his little directing spree, we have a butt ton of writers on this sucker. Just on the teleplay alone, we have Billy Eddy, Matt Eddy, and a lady named Jenny Jaffe. Uh, Who's that? These sound like like fake names. They kind of do. Mac Beebe, Jack Skeeby. Well, I will say, uh, in terms of Matt and Billy Eddie, looking through their IMDb's, they do share a lot of credits. They worked on the TV movie Zapped, which was a Disney Channel original movie, as well as Teen Beach Two, Invisible Sister, and Bad Hair Day. So we got Nickelodeon poaching some of the Disney talent, it seems. Yeah. Uh, but the 
Main writer lady that I actually want to highlight is Jenny Jaffe. The main reason I want to specifically highlight her is because she actually got her start as a writer and an actress for a college humor back in 2012 and 2013. Yeah. She was one of those people that got started mostly through web stuff and went on to start writing for other children's properties, uh, specifically for Big Hero 6, the TV series, the couple of episodes of Teen Titans Go, wrote for a couple of episodes of that Rugrats reboot, and now she's doing Monster High. Oh god, you complete I had completely forgotten about the Rugrats reboot. <laughs> well, just going off of like the director and all of those elements, it's not gonna give you a complete picture when it comes to the, you know, quality of a movie. But it's one of those things where it seems like Nickelodeon seems to be putting a decent level of effort and budget behind this thing where it doesn't feel like a cash grab. Because aside from like the admittedly pretty prevalent online fandom, how many girls younger than teenagers have like strong feelings about Monster High, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting. But uh, the main actress who is going to be playing uh, Claudine is a lady by the name of Mia Harris. She is very new on the scene of acting. She has currently only two screen credits, one including the Monster High film and the other an episode of this Disney Plus series called Just Beyond, which was that R.L. Stein-like anthology type series that they were producing. Okay. So, you know, best of luck to, to her. But in terms of the other actresses that they got, we got Cece Balagat, who, while she primarily got her big breakthrough uh, Girl Meets World, the most prolific recent appearance that Cece had on screen was being a performer for the song You Will Be Found off of the hit movie Dear Evan Hansen. Oh no. She was one of the ones who watched the video. Uh, His best friend died. You won't believe what happened next. <laughs> oh, bless her heart. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you it's... hear that uh, Dear Evan Hansen is closing on Broadway now? Neat. That's what I got to say about that. <laughs> you think you think uh, uh, Platt wakes up every morning just in just a wash with regret that would imply that that man has way more shame than he might have had uh before deciding yes i still want to play a teenage boy even though i'm close to 30 just so i can get an oscar and because my dad's producing the movie god they they really thought they were gonna get oscar buzz for that movie they really they really did ugh the other actresses that I want to highlight, uh, playing Gulia is a girl named Leela Fitzgerald. Then, playing our Draculara, we got a lady named uh, Naya Damonson. Uh, starring as Cleo is uh, Jai... Oh god, I apologize for mispronouncing this. Uh, Jai Prishkulnik. Say good effort. Who primarily starred also in that just beyond Disney Plus series, as well as the Lethal Weapon TV show. They made a Lethal Weapon TV show? Apparently there's just a bunch of TV shows that I've just never heard of that people have been doing. Yeah, network TV hasn't been doing great, Emma. Like, yeah, I, it's not doing great. 
<laughs> like I don't even have but, cable TV anymore, so I I just I don't know exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then the last person that I want to highlight is Leah Lecomte, who is going to be playing Laguna Blue. All of this to say, when it comes to like most of the talent in this movie, while many of them have had some experience in pretty high-profile TV shows, most of them, primarily Claudine with uh, Mia Harris, are relative newcomers to like the scene. That's always like an interesting thing, you know, whenever these children's networks kind of like scoop up new talent, there's always that kind of gamble element to it, where sometimes you end up getting a Miley Cyrus or a Selena Gomez or a Ariana Grande. And sometimes you get like uh, sad cases like Jeanette McCurdy, who uh, deserved less of the crap that she dealt with. But it's fine. She's doing a rad podcast now, so. But I will say, though, a lot of the Monster High brand, ever since they rebooted it, a lot of its sort of, like, edgier elements that made it appealing has been kind of smoothed down to be more sort of Disney-ish. And so I just got a feeling that this movie is going to kind of be a continuation of that. I guess we are going to have to see once the movie does come out later this fall. But for the sake of at least, like, the young act, like, the actresses with like their careers and stuff. I do wish them the best of luck and we'll be interested in seeing uh, how that turns out. But as it stands though, there's another movie in the Monster High universe that we're going to be perusing today. Uh, Since a lot of the Monster High films during their initial release run from 2010 to 2013 were relatively short, It made sense that we would spend a portion of this episode just talking about, like, the Monster Hive movie since people were wanting our thoughts on it. But I think this is going to lead nicely into tonight's ghastly specimen of a movie. Because, like we mentioned, it's June right now. It's summer. It's the beach vibes. It's getting hot. It might be beach vibes, uh other places but here in the midwest it's uh just hot vibes and you uh can't even really go to the pools now because a lot of places don't have enough enough lifeguards well you know what in order to beat this heat i think it's time we take a little trip to skull shores in monster high escape from skull shores which in hindsight with a title like that it does seem like skull shores might not be the most ideal beach location okay so wait so this movie is gonna be about characters trying to escape a beach yeah so it's basically gonna be m night Shyamalan's old right oh my god that's gonna be absolutely delightful if that is the case i would not say no to that god imagine seeing a property like barbie or brats or monster high movies that tend to kind of market themselves on platonic ideals of what girls should be and having them age, that would be a rather interesting subversion of that old uh, chestnut. I feel, I feel like every franchise out there just needs to add a beach that makes you old. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, heck with it. Might as well. Stranger Things, make those kids old. They're already getting older. Uh, Squid Game. Yeah, that's Challenges that's being on a, a beach and not being old. Literally every TV show. Like, heck, Steven Universe had an episode where Steven became super old on his birthday and nearly died on a beach, so they already got that covered. So, yeah, 
TV writers, get on it. You got to shamalize us. I, I want to see uh, I want to see rapidly aging old people just I say uh, la- la- last few episodes of Better Call Saul there better there better be an old beach in there <laughs> that's how you explain how the actors are older in it even if it's a prequel it's the old <laughs> exactly exactly they get old on the beach and then they get then they go to the young beach the beach that that makes you young yeah you, yeah you know you gotta balance it out for every old beach you gotta have a young yeah you, be- you, you got old beach you got young beach and you got got regular time beach yeah regular time beaches it's it's weird that they keep adding those in because at, at this point it's getting redundant yeah you don't really need the regular time beach that's just a, that's just a regular beach. yeah we're running on a tight schedule it's tv baby we gotta like like i know netflix you're trying to push those like two hour long tv episodes but come on i think we can like you know cut a single beach and if anything we're just we gotta cut like the regular beach mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah anyway this monster high movie with this beach it seems like it's probably gonna have just a regular beach but before- well they're escaping from it so maybe it is like a bad beach we don't know yet <laughs> you know i guess i guess not i guess not but i do want to highlight uh crew that are returning to this starting us off we got uh steve ball who is uh acting as the director who this is actually a little bit surprising steve ball is actually a veteran of mainframe he worked on a bunch of episodes of Reboot, Stormhawks. Oh, God. I feel like I'm the only one who remembers Stormhawks. Oh, I remember Stormhawks. It was a thing. Mm-hmm. But also worked on that one weird uh, Tarzan and Jane Netflix series and is currently working on a TV show called Supernatural Academy, which is a Peacock original. And uh, Is that a, a, a spinoff to the, the classic uh, Jensen Ackles series, Supernatural? Maybe? Okay, no, I'm looking at a trailer. It, it doesn't... There's a dude that does look suspiciously like one of them Winchesters, but it is not actually related to the Supernatural canon, from what I can tell. You said... Supernatural Academy is this another like ghost in high school yeah it it stars the premise is Misha Jackson who has been living in the human world is aware that she has supernatural powers oh well wait they have a character named Misha that's suspicious yeah yeah Misha Lebron though Lebron is the last name so yeah okay Misha and Lebron okay yeah we're spared from the Misha apocalypse with this one but yeah it, it seems to be going more for like YA vibes versus like super like spooky vibes. It, I don't know. This seems very much like Peacock's attempt to make a uh, a wizarding school thing that isn't run by a turf. Maybe maybe give a chance on. I know uh, someone have to, someone have to fill in that niche now. Yeah, come back in like twenty twenty thirty two when uh the wizarding world of Harry Potter has been turned into the uh the paranormal world of Paranormal Academy. <laughs> Oh, we can only help. Though, in addition to Ball being the director, he is also joined by Andrew Duncan. He would go on to direct a number of these other Monster High movies following this. Though, presently, he's mostly been directing a lot of those uh, Lego tie-in cartoons. And he also directed 99 of the episodes of the Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs TV show. Man, a TV show? Yeah. 
That was one of like Netflix's early big animated TV shows that they marketed. Yeah. I guess I just like did not at all pay attention to what was playing like on television or streaming during like that era. I mean, it, I mean, to be fair, like I can't imagine Netflix is going to be that geared to show you what is like on their main children's TV selection. That is true. I imagine you're probably not so familiar with his most recent uh, TV show that he's worked on. An adaptation of the Dr. Seuss book, Go Dog Go, <laughs> which is just like, I wonder if that's like one of the recent Netflix studios that got axed after Netflix did their whole huh. animation studio purge because they suck. But how else will they have the money to give the $4 million prize for their Squid Game reality show? You know... I think those are the kind of sacrifices that we got to make. All right. Yeah, I think with all that said, Emma, it's time that we got to head over to Skull Shores. Maybe we'll just have ourselves a spooktacular time. Eh? Or we will die of fright. Well, don't touch that dial because the party's just getting startled. I'm driving you batty. All right, let's go. Welcome to Monster High. Welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, guys and ghouls. So this movie, uh had so much stuff going on for a 46 minute movie it was a it was a yeah. ride yeah no it's one of those things that i kind of forgot it's been a bit since we last watched one of these films and something i have forgotten about these movies is just even in film installments where things are rather uh short in terms of runtime they just cram so many things. Yeah, I'm like glad later movies eventually uh, um, adopted a longer runtime because I don't know. I guess this this was the kind of thing where you could probably fill up like a good like hour time slot with commercials on TV mm-hmm. that would maybe space it out a bit more. But watching it all in one go, it's a <laughs> it's a lot to take. It's in. a lot. Yeah, man, man, oh man, man, oh man, listener, I uh, oof. Have me some uh, conflicted feelings about some of the stuff we laid witness to during our watch time of this. Um, but I guess before we, I guess, get into the plot, I don't know. What, what, how did you, how did you like this one, Emma, compared to the previous ones we've seen? Like I said, I still think, like, this movie kind of has, like, a lot of the strengths of previous Monster High films, it's like fun seeing just all these characters interact with each other. Like, oh but, yeah. But the the plot of this movie is a bit it's a bit, a bit confused. I felt a bit too many elements going on for the short run. Yeah, um, I agree. It, it is one of those things where I mean, as you said, a lot of the positive elements of the previous. Monster High movies that we've watched are, like, pre- like they're still there. Like, it, it does bear mentioning that, you know, overall, I enjoyed most of, like, the main uh, character interactions that were seen. You know, 
uh, Abby Abominable. Still, still Abby best Abby girl. Still best girl. Still best girl. Still the best part of this movie. Uh, brilliant. No notes for her. I even kind of liked her ice outfit thing where like her whole gimmick is that she has like these frozen, like a frozen hat and dress and stuff. Yeah, it's like it's cute. It's cute. But and like most of the other characters are still pretty good. You know, uh, Laguna is still kind of like the only like main act- hyper competent character here. Uh, Gulia loved her outfit in this one. Yeah. She had like this sort of like beehive type 60 style haircut. And I don't know. She had a nice it was- like I liked how her dress had like a brains pattern on it. I know it was a. I like the beachy looks they did with the characters. I don't. It's a bit weird that they gave uh, like Cleo and uh, uh, Frankie Stein like the Karen Bob. Yeah, but I, like I like they... I like the the outfits they put them in because yeah they were pretty nice. No, I mean yeah, pretty much all of the designs of the girls while at uh, Skullport in their whole beach wear. It's basically a one to one matchup of the dolls, for better or worse. Like, I'll be honest, the only, like, outfits I wasn't too crazy wild for was Frankie's outfit. Yeah, it's a very, it's very much an of-the-times fit, I felt. Yeah, it was, it's like one of those uh, swimsuit bikini dress combos things that you kind of saw a lot at the early, like, 2010s. I don't know, it gave me, like, Jersey Shore vibes in terms of her outfit. Meanwhile, Cleo has, like, this weird, like, pantsuit type of thing. It's fine. Uh, She's rocking, like, the bell-bottom, like, pants before it became in vogue again. So, there's that. Claudine's outfit was also fine. She mostly just wore, like, this poncho type thing for most of the film. The the, the plot of this movie is kind of wild. Okay, so so the whole premise of this movie is that we start... uh, Again, just like uh, the last CGI Monster High movie, it just immediately goes into chaos. Yes, it it spares no second, because as soon, like, the literal first shot is a rapid perspective shot of the Headless Mistress just whizzing through Monster High and just announcing spring break, and it's... Almost, almost killing many students in the process. Oh yeah, just almost running them over with the horse, as you do. It's one of those things where, I mean, it's clear that they're trying to make sure that it's, like, as expedient as possible as to better serve, like, the one-hour time slot that they would have had to use this for. But, like, the first scene is them at, like, this whole carnival thing celebrating spring break and you got a couple of like shenanigans of like claude wins a bunch of gifts for draculaura and cleo is offended that deuce isn't winning more for her yeah just say we we get a lot of of cleo comeuppets in this movie yeah they really were just like we're just gonna make cleo have a bad time which of the characters to do that to i guess better it be her but Man, oh man, like, when every single scene just involves her complaining and her just having something, like, slightly inconvenience her and her to just give the same over-the-top, oh, how awful, I'm royalty type reaction, it 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 becomes grating after a little while, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, speaking of uh, complaining, uh, we get also have a plot 
with Laguna and her boyfriend Gil. So if you don't yeah. remember, I don't know if this is stabbed with Laguna, but their whole thing is that she is a seawater sea monster and he is a freshwater sea monster. And that it creates like cultural tension in their yeah. dynamic. But pretty much every like line of dialogue we get from Gil in this movie is him being like they're gonna hate me in the sea when I go to meet your parents. That's and also of- being afraid of the ocean. And that's basically the start and end of his character. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I get the fact that these movies do kind of like hammer on that sort of like, you know, prejudice. You shouldn't judge people. Everyone's a little bit of a freaky freak, you know, but. Yeah. Don't let the normies bring you down and all that. The plot line is kind of getting a bit tired by this movie. Yeah. I, I will say. Uh, thinking back to the previous appearances for Gil, I don't recall him being this, like, annoying. <laughs> Although, I think in his previous appearances, like, most of the gimmick for him was, oh, you can't tell what he's saying because he's wearing that fishbowl, but I guess they just kind of ditched that whole plot element to him. So you kind of miss when we couldn't tell what he was saying. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> this whole time you're just kind of like... Laguna, there's probably, I think there's other fish in the sea you could go for than this guy. Yeah, I'll, 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 God. It's very, and it's, it's a a thing where. still very cute, though. I like how, I like how. Oh, yeah. How dedicated he is. This movie could have used more Claude. He should have been the boyfriend that went along with him. He should have been. He should (laughs) have. He honestly should have. And it's weird because, like. I don't want to harp on Gil too much more, but, like, in my vague memories of, like, the previous Monster High movies that we've seen, Gil, like, like the whole characterization that they seem to establish for Lagoon is that she's, like, the main girl that has her shit together, you know? Like, she's the she's already in, like, a committed relationship, and she's pretty... She feels pretty confident about it. She seems to be able to act as, like, a voice of reason and seems to be, like, the most competent member of the crew, uh, with Abby being in a close second, uh, obviously. But I I don't know. It is one of those things where it feels like, oh, Gil, we gotta make Gil, uh be a more central character because we made this special doll for him to promote the line. So we got to do that. I feel like the monster high characters, they work at their best when they're honestly not dealing with like this kind of shoehorned in drama, you know, because if they had cut like the whole Gil subplot thing, I feel like this movie would play pretty similarly you know, and besides it doesn't really have much to do like with the rest of the movie so it just felt like kind of yeah a just something kind of tangent tacked on yeah because the main uh, gist of this movie is uh they are on spring break and they're getting on a boat to travel to the great barrier reef so uh laguna can visit her parents yeah and that's Which, when they go on the boat and they get their beachy outfits and they're having a little cruise. So. And then suddenly a kraken emerges. A kraken which they, which they will not show any more than just orange tentacles. I gotta say, 
if I had to describe this plot, it's there's an interesting dissonance between it being extremely streamlined and efficient, yet also being cluttered. Like they they're in such a big rush to be able to get to each individual plot beat, but they just cram so many of those plot beats into this hour of television that it's like it's it's a it lot to take in. Yeah, because almost immediately after they get their ship wrecked, who ends up coming but the main antagonist, a man named Bartleby Farnham, who is meant to be a uh, pastiche of P.T. Barnum, so... On the greatest showman trend before it was a thing. Good for them. Farnham's whole thing is that he's like a weird salesman, showman, performer type person. I don't know. It's pretty ambiguous of what this dude actually does. It It's implied that he's like a monster hunter. In other bits, it's implied that he's just like a regular con man. And then just like the regular P.T. Barnum, dude is... Uh, Heavily benefiting from some uh, attitudes towards uh, certain groups of people. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Because Farnham is also accompanied by his assistant, a dude named Kipling, who... Who is your kind of obvious, like, uh, bumbling henchman that's obviously going to have a redemption arc at the end. And and his whole thing is that he's got a big old uh, sack. Big old sack face being like oh i'm too ugly oh the world is not ready to be able to face me oh i've had this mask on this whole time and and they kind of have like like a toxic like frollo quasimodo dynamic where like yeah like i'm the only one who can keep you safe and give you a happy life yeah which is an interesting dynamic to bring up like, honestly, that would have been a very compelling thing that they could have just developed more. Like, instead, Fartum, they they just make him so over the top in this. It's a little bit astonishing. It's one of those things where they just make him so unsubtly evil that it honestly, you know, it, it can, it sometimes puts you out of it. Uh, think he might have worked better as like kind of like a twist villain yeah something like that like i mean god emma you know what i'm thinking they should have just pulled a live action scooby-doo movie and make it so like oh the ghouls gotta they gotta go to this special resort but oh it's not it's not what it seems type of thing i was i was getting scooby-doo scooby-doo one vibes at times yeah this movie instead opts for adapting another cinematic classic, because uh, Farnham tells him that, oh, we gotta go to Skull Shores to pick up some supplies so that he could take him to uh, Laguna's parents, which, you know, Laguna's understandably a little sus towards that, but what ends up happening is they end up going to this Skull Island. That's when we meet the Tiki's. Yeah. Um, uh. So I get where mm. they were going, where they were trying to do like a like a King Kong pastiche, and they felt kind of you got to have like the native characters in there, but of course, like you can't like make them actual 
natives because that would be really yikes. So they just kind of yeah. made these, like little wooden tiki people to kind of stand in for them, but it's still just kind of it's still really yikes. <laughs> like the fact that their voice lines literally read like Aku Aku from Crash Bandicoot with a couple of tongue clicks tossed in there, which it's like, okay, cool. Just, we'll just sprinkle in a little stereotypes about the African diaspora as well. You know, not, not great. Not great. Y'all. The only thing I like, I did like that every time they walked, they made that little walking noise, like the Mr. Krabs walk. Yes. They did have that kind of like wooden element to it. And, but it, yeah, as you said, Emma, they're they're doing a whole pastiche of King Kong. But then again, you know, this movie's made in like 2012. People already like ripped the Peter Jackson King Kong a new one when that one came out because yeah. that movie. Oof. I, wonder, I wonder if does the King Kong Broadway musical that they came out that had the King Kong puppet, did that still have like native characters in it? I oh wonder. god, I'm gonna have to look that up. Oh god. I don't uh, know. No one saw that show anyway, so I guess there's that. <laughs> uh, who knows? So. I don't know. Who Either knows? Way, but... uh, this kind of uh, framing is where um, we kind of get the bulk of the movie, where uh, Farnham takes particular interest in Frankie Stein because she looks like a basically the lady that was used to uh, that the the beast that's on this island was drawn to before. And so yeah. they also established that he's basically like, kind of like tricked the Tiki people into uh, helping him do this. Cause they're afraid of the beast that lives on the island. And yeah. Yeah. When we get on the island, we get a lot of like shenanigans where like the characters just kind of hanging out. thinking it's just a fun vacation. Um, this is also where we get the bulk of like them being very uh, uh, <laughs> needlessly rude to Cleo. Honestly, to Cleo, who Cleo is also like they, because at the same time they're treating Frankie like royalty. So yeah, although I do wonder, like, what is the Tiki's beef with Cleo? Because they're showing all the different girls to their like respective thatched huts, and. Instead of, like, an actual hut, they put Cleo inside just, like, a hammock next to a cactus. And it's like, what? Like, I mean, I get what they're going for. They're they're making, you know, comic releasing. But it, it I feel like that element would have been really helped if they actually, like, maybe gave some context as to why they're treating her like that. They just don't like her vibes. They, they knew she so, needed to be humbled. Yeah. Though, as mentioned, there's this mysterious beast here. Because as Laguna and Gil become more suspicious of Farnham and his whole shenanigans, they sneak onto his boat and they find an old film reel from some unknown woman scientist that was exploring the island. And she was like a human scientist who looked like Frankie, who had been there before. Very unclear, like, how much, like, long ago this took place. Yeah, because it's, like, black and white, and 
it shows like footage of like another scientist on this film reel before they get attacked by like the tiki's but then like the beast comes and takes them takes her away and and it's like like we never find out who she is the monster high like wiki only lists her as normie scientist so nothing known about her personality we don't know like what what's going on it's basically just like frankie but wearing like the stereotypical early 20th century exploration colonialist wear complete with the whole british empire bucket hat so so we gotta assume frankie was born the same way like the frankenstein was monster was born yeah like is this kind of implying that like this lady like died and her body was repurposed to create frankie and that's how this whole okay together yeah that's the kind of vibe that i was getting i'm so glad that we were on that same wavelength because honestly wouldn't say no to that as like a like character beat honestly if they made that like the main conflict of like kind of like the uh francis ford coppola dracula thing where like oh my past love is reincarnated into this new form oh there's oh the eggs do you know like you could really bite into something like that but as it stands in the film it's just like yeah this lady just happened to really look like frankie big coincidence big coincidence don't know what happened to her yeah, because as all that oh, well. discovered, we get the whole ceremony where it's revealed that Frankie is going to be offered as a like a sacrifice Sa- to this yeah. beast, and we get the beast who's guy who's like kind of this big purple guy with like antlers on his head. Yeah, I initially I initially made a flying purple people eater joke, but this guy doesn't fly. Yeah, unfortunately. but they do they do make sure to give him like huge board shorts when he's a big oh monster, <laughs> just so so you don't see his a uh, big flying flapping purple schlong. God, the cowards! I mean, actually, if we're gonna be honest, that would have been very doll accurate if he if they just made him totally smooth down there, you know? Yeah. Could have done it. Yep. Could have done it, cowards. Mm-hmm. But this beast dude ends up taking Frankie, and Frankie ends up waking up the next day in a little, like, Tarzan-type jungle house, which is like a giant ship hoisted in a big tree. And that's where we end up meeting our monster dude. And it turns out, in a twist on the King Kong formula, since I think... Uh... I don't know, maybe they were kind of uncomfortable uh, out of implying, like, an actual beast, like, having feelings for Frankie. He's actually, like, a regular-sized monster guy with, like, purple skin and little horns. And he he has an issue where when people are afraid of him or uh, are scared of him, it turns him into the monster. Yeah, yeah. And that's it's, why he's on the island. Yeah, they, he they even like really lean into the sad backstory element of it, where it's like, oh, everywhere I go, I was, I was treated like a freak. So my parents decided to put me on this island. <laughs> like, okay, I guess 
add parental abandonment, like if if you just made like two or three tweaks to this character, this movie would have been the adaptation of this like seminal classic trapped on a deserted island with Josh Hutcherson. It's not like on an island. It's trapped in an island with. I apologize. With yes, Josh. I. I mean, he is. Yes. Kind of like got like that meek kind of sad boy thing going on when he's just like they a, re- like a regular size guy. So he keeps pulling this whole beast like Beauty and the Beast thing of being like, oh. No one can truly love me. Oh, I'm so angst. Oh, everything is so bad. Uh, there's no place where I belong. See, the, this movie does contain, contain a lot of men complaining. Yeah. By the way, I, I looked this up. Uh, the reason why he's named Andy is they named him after Andy Serkis, the motion capture actor for King Kong. So they did know about the Peter Jackson King Kong movie. Okay. And... They didn't I, know about uh, the vibes of that and how they portrayed their natives. Oh, God. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how somehow that movie managed to make its native characters more racist than they were in a movie that came out in the 1930s. A... Yeah, they like they straight up. It's one of those things where it's like I do enjoy a lot of elements of that movie. Like, I, I enjoy a lot of the acting. I even enjoy some of the stupid shit Jack Black did in that. But, yeah. man, the fact that those like those characters look not too different from the orcs from Lord of the Rings. It's like, hey, Peter, y- you're from New Zealand. You should hopefully have a lot more knowledge about, you know, these kind of cultures that movies like King Kong were kind of like doing dirty, you know? Although, if any Polynesian directors do end up making an adaptation of King Kong, I would not say no to that. My, my opinion is that we do not have more need for more King Kongs at this point. I think that's fair. And boy, howdy, does that this movie not help with that? Um, yeah. God, I always remember, but, I was like, didn't that movie come out in, like, 2006 or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember for some reason, like, I was kind of at the age where I could go, like, you know, see movies in theaters, but also, like, you know, not old enough to be left on my own. So my parents dragged me to see that movie in theaters, King Kong. Oh, oh, oh that It was so long. I couldn't believe it. I was... My thing that... I got I watched that sucker on DVD mm-hmm. like years after it came out and boy yeah no that was that movie drags we really could have just like cut like probably like 20% of the things yeah, on that uh on the island where they're back there and they're like sliding around on the ice I'm just like just, yeah just keeps going oh 3 hours and 7 minutes peter what the hell God. Peter, no one asked for a movie this long. Especially not a King Kong adaptation this long. Yeah. Ugh, Christ. But we have but... to keep all, all the time dedicated to uh, uh, people getting attacked by scorpions in a canyon. Yeah. But oddly enough, both movies similarly suffer from 
plots that have way too many things crammed into it. Well, Frankie and Andy, they're hanging out. It's clear they're building up some element of romantic tension, even though, like, Andy never makes an appearance after any of these other movies. And it's like, dang, Frankie's never going to get, like, a boyfriend, huh? But the... Yeah, she's got to she's gotta be, be kept in that main character loop where she's always just kind of stuck in one mode. But, yeah, this is also where we get, like, the backstory of how... Uh, he met the normie scientist and that she was the one who was able to calm him down. And he built like these big statues of her that we see throughout the movie that are on the island. Yeah. And again, like they, they just straight up do not tell us what happened to her. Like, like Andy, where's the lady? For all we know, like, she did die tragically. <laughs> yeah. Like if hell, if they really wanted to pump up like the tragic element of Maybe it was the thing of like, oh, the one time I went beast mode, she didn't make it. That's what I decided. I could never be close to someone else again. And it's like, that seems like what they were trying to imply. It, I, I just want to know what this woman's story oh, yeah. is, you know? Because the way the characters are now, after Frankie was taken, uh, Abby and Gulia were end up getting like trapped in a hole. So they're back at the camp while uh, Claudine, uh, Dracula, and Dracula and Cleo go to go after Frankie. And also Laguna and Gil are also going after them. While yeah. uh, Farnham has like a, he put like a tracking necklace on Frankie before she was taken. So he's tracking her down. So we got all these, these kind of parties going in yeah. at once. And we yeah. get this scene where uh, Laguna and Gil find Farnham tracking her down, and they they try to like trail them. And Laguna ends up tripping and falling, and is spotted and captured by Farnham. And Gil just kind of walks away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they he does just kind of like ditch him, yeah. and it it was one of those things where. His whole thing is that he needs to not be such a coward and all that stuff. But boy, howdy, like no disrespect to his voice actor, Evan Smith. But I don't know, like the way he performed Gil's voice made it seem like kind of like a stereotypical uh, idea of like a person pretending to be a human. You know, as he sort of talks like this, as I enjoy the human things and I am also unafraid of the ocean and it it oh boy between that and the complaining it, it did not did not help him and as he runs off oh laguna is like is all dejected because she could do so much better and meanwhile freaking kipling again side note they named him after rudyard kipling like really not helping your case about colonialism here guys but he Ends up trying to comfort Laguna being like, oh, I'm sure there's a reason type of thing. But Laguna is helping to bolster his confidence and all that. Eventually, all of the groups end up running into each other. And uh, Farnham is pulling the thing of like, oh, if you don't come with me, I'm going to electrify your dear Frankie. Ha ha ha! You oh, oh, make me rich. Part where uh, uh, 
Abby Abominable revolutionizes the the Tiki people. Yeah, yeah, because instead of mindlessly following the orders of one white-coated character, she is like, "Hey, you you all should listen, and you sh- you all should listen to me, and now and do your own thing." Which you know, heart's in the right place with that, but. Again, Abby Abominable, still best girl. A, just like, without a problem, just takes them all out and also is able to just like convince them all that, hey, Fardom's taking advantage of you guys. So, you know, take back the power. Yes. We shall be the Zor Nicholas. Oh, I mean, the Zor, the Barnum. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> All you have left to lose is your comical wooden uh, mask chains. Oh, yeah. But despite that, they end up... Uh, well, they end up overpowering Farnham and... Uh, and it seems like Andy's gonna go along with him, but uh-oh, the Kraken's back, except oh, Gil has come to save the day, where he in a totally not hasty element of exposition proceeds to talk to uh, talks to Laguna saying, oh I went to see your parents and I, it turns out they were very nice, and I was wrong to be afraid of the ocean, and now I am here to save you. And it's like, cool. Just all the character development off screen. Took you to do all that. For all you know, like they could have just like you know, fed her to the to the monster during that time. But uh, thanks, thanks, Gil. Yeah, thanks, Gil. Also, he could be just straight up lying. About meeting Laguna's parents. I mean, he does get, like, uh, some sharks and some dolphins and the Kraken to come back. Also, apparently the Kraken uh, somehow was able to rebuild their ship. Yep. <laughs> uh, that was kind of a funny detail. Yeah, they and just... Al- yeah. And also he uh, flings uh, Farnham into the the distance... And Kipling goes yeah. after him, which, some, which is an event that Farnham somehow ends up surviving. Yeah, no, because this man, for all intents and purposes, he seems to be a human. Like, though he his, does kind of like like walk around like an old cartoon character with his limbs going all noodly everywhere. So who knows? Oh what God. He is. Maybe it's like a Judge uh, Dread who framed Roger Rabbit situation. Yeah. I mean, both are similarly off-putting in certain ways. Mm-hmm. So, So, yeah. it's like, it's kind of the thing where it's like, you expect that this to be the climax of the movie, but it, it keeps going. Yeah, it goes on for, like, another, like, 20 minutes. So, after this, because they end up bringing uh, Andy, this man of uh, indeterminate age, to the monster high. So they can show him a place where he won't be judged for who he is. And, uh... Yeah. All the while, um, Farnham is still tracking them, and, uh... Yeah. Coming back later. Apparently, Frankie never takes off that necklace for some reason, so... Even though, like, 
Laguna at one point finds out that he's like tracking Frankie. So he could should have maybe she should have relayed that information. Yeah, yeah, you know, she's she's too busy pining over Gil. Oh, yeah. You know. So, yeah, so you know what they say behind every behind every man. brilliant woman is a dumbass man who brings her down. So <laughs> anyway, this is where it suddenly becomes a whole different movie because we get uh, um, Andy at Monster High, where he is has no knowledge of the modern world, so he thinks like he doesn't know how phones work, and he hears a speaker, and he thinks a lady is trapped in the speaker, and so. We get, like, a little shenanigan montage with all that going on. Yeah. So, like, okay, according to the Monster Height wiki, I'm going to quote this sucker saying, Andy, presumably, quote, is from the 18th century and has been living on Skull Shores since that time. As a result, he is unfamiliar with modern day technology and is easily freaked out about it, which... Have a Dracula you know, Laura who's like sixteen hundred yeah, years old. So yeah, it established. It, it just seems like characters just can will just remain teenagers forever. Like I feel like yeah. we never see like very or like we see very few like monster adults in this universe. Like mm-hmm. we just assume everyone's just going to high school all the time, forever. And uh, God, that sounds Imagine absolutely hellish. Eternal high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah oof. But they bring Andy there, and almost immediately he's like, "Oh, hey, baby, things are not as bad as it seems." And it's like, "Yeah, no, no dip, man. You're, you're." sitting next to a woman that is a reanimated corpse and a dude who's just like straight up an eyeball like you know not to downplay like his insecurities and all that stuff but you know though after like some days headmistress bloodgood orders everyone to the auditorium for a speech about tolerance by a human guest speaker. I wonder who this human guest speaker could be as this bearded man with a cane and a carnival-like aesthetic saunters in and acts super energetic, promising the greatest show they've ever seen. And it's like... (laughs) Like, y'all, y'all, like, I know it, it's one of those things where it's like a, a, a children's show trying to be able to streamline the plot, but surely, did they, did they surely the speaker a bit better before they invited him on. Because as soon as he starts going, he starts going about how all the students are terrifying freaks. And then, of course, the, the headmistress is like, you're being very inappropriate and everyone's getting, you know, really mad at him. And then, you know, surprise, surprise, yeah. he's here to, uh, to antagonize just, Andy in order to make him go beast mode. Yeah, he's just, like, like, harassing children in a school. 
And it's like, I know. I wish like, like this blood good. Where he's just kind of like insulting the Monster High students and telling them how like degenerate <laughs> there are. Felt a bit like uncomfortable. And then starts like attacking them. Just kind of just felt yeah uncomfortable. Yeah. No. Um, like I, I'm glad you pointed that out too because I ugh, I didn't. It, it was a thing where it's like, yeah, this stranger just goes to school just distressing the students. It's like, I don't know, as someone with a background in education, not not a big fan of that. Like, I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where obviously it's got to be done for the purposes of a plot, but... That thing that you mentioned earlier, Emma, honestly, something that would have been more interesting instead of just this sort of haphazardly integrated third act conflict would have been maybe just making it uh, about how Andy has a really hard time adjusting to modern life. And, you know, they already established that, oh, he isn't too familiar with modern technology. And maybe because he's been alone for so long, he misinterprets social cues, so he's super self-conscious and thinks, oh, they're all making fun of me, oh, they think I'm a freak, when, in fact, most of them are just like, when most people don't actually care. And it could have been a thing where, like, Farnham could have, like, gone all Frollo, as you mentioned earlier, and be like, oh, the world is cruel, the world is wicked. He and try to do that at the end because they do because I, that's something to to andy and he goes beast mode and he ends up because despite this uh interlude of the high school we are still in the king kong pastiche he ends up like picking up frankie and they climb uh the spire the tower and monster high and then uh farnham gives his whole speech to them and he was like i'm the only one who can uh help you even the freaks think you're a freak you know yeah. And this and, is, which I think is probably the most like interesting element of like that villain. Like, yeah, it it would have been really interesting to be able to actually like see more of that. But I don't know. They just kind of like really like, uh, I, I, like, I don't know. They just really. I'm I'm trying to think about like the thought process that they had when it came to making Farnham the way they were. I it almost felt like they were given a lot of directions to make him more wacky. Yeah. To like the though it is kind of crazy because we get this like uh this uh this stand-in for PT Barnum who's like running this like freak show and who's like pretending that he really cares about the people that he captures <laughs> for it, but actually is just for exploitation. And then like a couple years later, yeah. you get a, a Hugh Jackman uh, being like, yeah. well, 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 he actually does care about, about the freaks in his circus. If you think about it. Yeah. I, oof. I, it is a, yeah, I don't know. It's a choice. I like honestly. I think, oh, I'm all. Well, I'm honestly all for media 
rightfully dragging Barnum for the piece of shit that he was, but that there had to have been a better way to do that. I, I don't know. What are you going to say? I, I don't know. I think it's yeah, overall, it's, like, it's fine the way they do it. I just thought it was interesting. But um, well, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I mean, insofar as that, like, felt like they could have lowered some of the zaniness of it all to. So these are you know, zany movies, though. We gotta admit. That is true. That is, yeah. you know, and that yeah. is some part of the charm of it. But yeah, yeah, because this Though, is where we get like the sort of so this henchman, uh, uh, Kipling that he's had. Yeah. Um, we forgot to mention that he's basically has like a sack on his head the whole time. Oh, and like, we we kind of talked a little bit about his old sack face, but he's being all like, ah, oh, like Farnham was the only one who would take me in because I was so ugly. Yeah, so no one would he accept finally, me. He finally removes his sack to stand up to Farnham, which I remember we were talking about how it would be kind of a funny twist if it turns out he was just like a normal looking guy the whole time. <laughs> like he was just like, just like a Chad. Just like a dude, just but, like some but, dude, and and he kind of is. Yeah, he's just a dude, but he's got like big old bat ears, basically. And I, I was rating it as elephant ears, but yeah. yeah. And just it's, like like Quasimodo and Frollo, he uh, he uh, finally rebels against his tormentor and picks him up and throws him off the bridge. Although. <laughs> Uh, because this is a kid's movie, he does throw him into a big uh, pile of goo, as often happens with villains in these movies. They gotta get, get cowards at the end. Cowards. Although, I will say, this does lead to probably the wildest element to this climax, because he ends up falling in the goo and also getting covered in feathers somehow. I don't know. He, like, you know, fa- turn he, like feathers. flies through some birds or something on the way down. Yeah, that's right. And and we get a tar and feathering in this movie. Always appreciated. Yes, indeed. Which, you know, if you look into what actually happened to the fools that did get tarred and feathered back in the day, it was not pleasant. Like, yeah, well, do really you know well, how hard it is to, like, carve off tar? Like, you would often just, like, have to cleave off full-on chunks of skin. Most of those suckers ended up dying after it. Yeah, because like, bullet, like, hot tar, I'm pretty sure getting covered in hot tar is a snack and yeah, for you. But, not very good. But, but as soon as he gets all tarred and feathered, uh, Farnham ends up, like, running away, and these two dudes, just two random humans show up and is like ah is this the freak we're supposed to pick up looks like it and they put him in a net and they they get a lock him net and they net him they take him away to who knows where who knows where who are these men where did they come from is it just like a thing where like monstrous people just get like effectively kidnapped and paraded around like quote normie human society like I mean, like the implications of of these people existing is, makes me nervous as to what the wider uh world is like in this universe yeah because it, it's almost implied that like monster high is like a safe haven that's different from the rest of the world which honestly paints a 
and I would argue, somewhat needlessly dark picture of, but, ugh, I, oh my god, but this ends up, like, finishing the movie off with, you know, Andy being like, oh, I, I do actually belong, and I do deserve friends, and I should love myself, girlfriend, <laughs> and, and because the school get partially destroyed, uh, oh, the kids get an extra week of spring break, so they all head back to cultural appropriation colonialism island, and, and have a good old beach drink, party. Drink, uh, frozen coconut drinks. As opposed to Abby, yeah. who we were also shown earlier can just break open a coconut with her bare hands, so... Queen shit. Yep, yep. Queen shit. Mm -hmm. But... And uh, we all <sighs> get the dance party ending. Uh, yeah. Also forget about that lady who might have died on the island. Uh, that's not important. Yeah, don't worry about her. Oh, also, it's implied that uh, Kipling is gonna get some, because there are these girls in the school that also just happened to have like big ears and are just like, ew, that cutie. And it's like, okay. Yep. So every, everybody wins except for, uh, Farnham, who I, I don't want to think about, about what happened to him. Farnham so. and the unknown human scientist. Yep. Yep. Unless that human scientist did end up becoming Frankie, which yeah. man, you, you, I don't think the movie like delves into how weird it. It kind of comes off that like Andy is like really fixated on Frankie just because she resembles like this one chick he met presumably like hundreds of years ago. She's she's she seems very chill about all that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's why they didn't put him in any more of these. So that's true. Although honestly. When you put the creepiness element aside, it's... I didn't dislike Andy and Frankie's relationship. I thought they had, like, a decent level of chemistry, and... I don't know. I yeah. wouldn't be against, like, Frankie getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You know, getting some kind of significant other, because... Yeah. I don't know. I know. I mean, I know that they want to do the whole, like, relationship drama thing stuff but considering the fact that like we've already gotten like a number of different stories centering like drama from existing relationships I don't know it seems like something that they could have done like honestly it occurs to me like when it comes to like romantic pairings in this show Compared to, say, Bratz and Barbie and some of the other girl properties, Monster High is kind of, like, the only one of these kind of movie series that we've seen thus far that kind of center on drama born out of existing relationships, which, honestly, you don't see a whole lot of, especially in kids' media, because so much of it is just built up upon the idea of like oh get the girlfriend or boyfriend yeah and then and not really like uh thinking about how that affects the characters after the relationship starts but yeah 
Yeah, it's kind know. of interesting because like the only like the main characters we really show that have significant others are like uh, you got Draculaura, Draculaura and Claude, and then you got Laguna and uh, Gil. So yeah, but also that might just because be because there's a probably more demand for like female characters in the doll line than male characters. Yeah, that's true, but. I don't know. I feel like in the doll line they ever pushed like some of the other like side male characters like uh the the flame guy. Yeah. Or the the Jekyll and Hyde boy. Yeah. Well, that's something notable. I, I apparently uh in the cartoon there was a brief period of time where Frankie did date uh Jason Jekyll and Holt Hyde, but. She broke it off due to conflicting personalities. <laughs> and then there was also that whole uh, pretend boyfriend plot uh, where he made uh, a character named Hoodooed Voodoo, which he essentially, she essentially built a boyfriend so that she, and uh, that didn't work out. Uh, apparently she was in love with some monster named Brett Redding, who was only featured in the Monster High novels. Brett? No, Redding. yeah, <laughs> Brett Redding. I it. I think he's like a vampire thing. He like, uh, like he's pale. He has dark black hair. It's, uh, oh no, he's a human attending a nearby human high school, and he's into filmmaking and horror movies, so... Oh, no, Actually, a film, bro! The scariest monster okay, of all! <laughs> okay, you say that, but honestly, I would actually kind of... Lo- that seems like a pretty interesting type of uh, relationship that you could explore with Frankie, because, you know, I think it would be a good way of being able to explore the kind of difference between the human and the monster world, since right. there's yeah. apparently a manifested difference between them. And, you know... Imagine imagine a human a human boy attending Monster High just in the hopes that he'll have a better chance of getting a goth GF. Oh, God. You know... I'd watch... I'd watch that show. Okay. I'd be down with that. <laughs> Hell, it worked for Hotel Transylvania. So. Oh, God. But... Yeah, it's. If they ever released that that last Hotel Transylvania movie, did yeah, they remember it, to release it? Yeah, I think it came out like a couple of like months ago. It's, oof. Yeah, well, Jenny Tartakovsky is not working on it, so we don't have to worry about watching it. Uh, but yeah, it apparently came out back in February, so uh, yeah. That should tell you how much uh, cultural impact that sucker had. But, uh, yeah, that's that's going to end off the movie. A film where I foolishly thought, oh, this thing's only 44 minutes. Like, this will probably be a short episode. How much could we possibly have to say about this? But credit to Monster High. Boy, how do they, do they give us a whole lot of morsels to just sink our teeth into to prolong things into hey yeah so oof um so emma 
Yeah. What what do you what do you rate this movie? I um I rate it a one beach that makes you old out of five. Um <laughs> in that the beach did not make them age either way, from what I could tell. So Although it, it certainly made me feel a couple of decades older. After yeah, maybe it, it emotionally <laughs> aged in a way, aged just in a way. So, uh, um, there, there, yeah, yeah, this I, one, this one was okay. <laughs> That's uh, my takeaway. I, I, I give this, I give this movie a Peter Jackson 2006 King Kong out of 10. As I mentioned earlier, both movies suffer from a similar problem of cramming way too much stuff into their runtimes and also having very questionable uh, depictions of uh, varying Polynesian groups. But uh, overall, one if if you are able to look past it, which, you know, definitely understandable if that sort of thing turns you off. No qualms about that. But if you are able to look past the shall we say, monstrous exterior, you might find some enjoyable elements behind it. Same. Like I said, yeah. I, I feel the same way every, after each time I watch this movie. I feel, I'm just thinking, when are we going to get the Abby Bombable movie that centers her? Oh, oh it's got to, I mean, they've made a bunch of these movies. Like, like one of them's got to, like, have her in a one of them's got it. I'd like I, to oh, so. like yeah. I mean, dear listeners, if you uh, if you know for a fact of uh, certain f- certain prominently featured Abby Bombable uh, specials, please, please let us know because uh, I mean. We're down to do this thing in chronological order. Don't get it twisted, but man, Abby Bombable. Mwah. More of her, please. Also, this movie could have used more Gulia. Gulia was kind of yeah. in this one. Yeah, we didn't mention this, but Gulia and Abby, like, those two are totally dating. Like, like, they look absolutely adorable next to each other. They're like, I, I, I don't know. It's it's a nice little contrast of her, of, well, it's not even a dynamic of like, uh, dumb person smart person relationship dynamic, like, because I, I feel like Gulia and Abby are intelligent in different ways. Like Abby is very socially intelligent as it seems, whereas Gulia's very book intelligence. That's the sort of vibe that I I sort of get. And yeah, I don't know. I think that the two are a pretty good fit. And, you know, the more of them that we get to see, the better, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I think that is going to do it for us. So, thank you for joining us on this absolute odyssey of an episode. Boy, howdy, did we have a lot to say about this movie. Um, well, but... this, like, 
But I always got to appreciate about these Monster High films. Good or bad, I always feel like there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on in them. There really is. There's so so much great potential just with the setting alone. It is no wonder that they ended up making so many of these specials because the just the basic premise alone lends itself to essentially allowing you to make pretty much whatever kinds of movies you want out of that, which you love to see. Yeah. But until next time, uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for us. So, Emma, you know, our listeners, our dear beloved listeners, while similar to Andy... They all have this terrifying, ferocious beast that lurks beneath them. And by golly, they, they're demanding, they're yearning for more of you in order to quell the fury of the beast. Where can people find more of you? Uh, deep within their hearts and minds. <laughs> And on our Twitter at EmmaCory9. Yeah, maybe there too. Maybe there. But yeah. And uh, and then, of course, you can always keep up to date with the show by following us on Twitter at Pink Isle Pod. And uh, maybe giving us a little rating and review on the uh, old podcast platform that you're listening to us on. Which we, we got a, a very nice review recently where someone talked about uh sharing a similar name to a barbie protagonist and that that's it that's a it it reminds me of the fact that there are a non-zero number of young girls out there who did get their names because their parents were fans of the barbie movies maybe someone out there is named odette or um uh, Maria or Mariposa or Bibble. Uh, but or yeah, <laughs> indeed. But the uh, but yeah, we appreciate uh the ratings. We also appreciate the emails. We got some uh emails also with some nice suggestions of things to potentially do. Uh, there's one viewer uh specifically requested that we look into the recently released Netflix series of Barbie featuring uh, Malibu Barbie and Brooklyn Barbie having, like, New York adventures. Uh, Which, don't get us wrong, that's something that we're definitely into, but it is one of those things where watching a TV show, like, a full series of a TV show, it it can be a little bit difficult when it comes to to like discussing it on a podcast like it's not a thing where i don't think either of us would really want to do like a single episode play-by-play of every single like episode of barbie life in the dream house or the uh dreamland adventures or any of those other tv shows yeah though if that's something you really really want format yeah sorry what yeah, TV shows are a bit tricky to do with our how our format is. Yeah, but I don't know. 
we're always open to new things. And I will say uh, to the people that were requesting stuff about Barbie, uh, keep an ear out. That's all I'm going to say. But until then, uh, you can also uh, keep up to date with my stuff that I done do on the internet in a bunch of places. Uh, at Kathman Henry at twitter.com, henrykathman.tumblr.com. That's where most of my stuff is generally centralized. There's also youtube.com slash henrykathman. I'm, uh, you know, got my Cinderella vid. Worked really hard on that. Give that a watch, maybe. And also, all the things that I done do on the internet are supported, thanks in part to people who contribute $1 a month at patreon.com slash henrykathman. All of your support, regardless of what you do, is greatly appreciated. One might say... Ah. Uh, I'm, I'm a hack fraud. I can't think of a spooky pun. Yeah, I'm not. But Thank you, you all for a creation. Oh, I got it. Fangs for the memories. Eh? Alright. We'll see you next time. Bye. -bye.